Welcome to The Scarlet Project. This is a show about the slimy underbelly of American colleges and universities, the predators that thrive there, and the administrations that tolerate them. I'm your host, Tom, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Ryan. Hello again, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Today, today we are going to be discussing a case out of the University of Connecticut, where a fine arts professor, Frank Nolker, was found by was found by investigators to have broken the university's policy against discrimination, harassment, and related interpersonal violence by grooming and sexually assaulting the young women in his class, allegedly. But instead of firing him, the university made a deal to keep him under their employ for a year and a half, another year. The twist in this case is that Nolker was accused of sexual assault by a student in 2003, 15 years before the investigation into his creepy behavior with his students. But the university but the university nor the state police did anything about it, which allowed the abuse to continue for almost two decades. I originally broke this story a few years back, but we're going to revisit it today for those who might not have heard about it, and, al- and also because it illustrates an important topic, which is how the media tends to shy away from these stories. With that all said, let's get into the show. The Office of Institutional Equity, or OIEs, we'll be referring to it going forward, uh, states that they had uh, received some concerning social media posts from a student um, alleging that Frank Nolker, um, an associate professor of photography, uh, had engaged in sexual harassment, um, specifically including unwelcome physical contact towards other students. Um, So the next day, September 19th, 2018, OIE contacted said student who made the post and invited them to speak with them about uh, the concerns that they had posted. Um, And that same next day, September 19th, another student had contacted OIE regarding the concerns uh, relating to Professor Nokler as well. Both student A and B were interviewed separately and on September 21st, and both indicated they wish to be perceived as complaints in OIE's investigation process. So going forward with that is just basically how we start off with everything. Um, Student A and B in particular to get things started, but student B is our focus for this part because uh, according to the document itself, it's the only thing that really... uh, constituted a policy violation to use their exact wording um which we'll get into we'll get into all the other allegations later but we're just starting off with this because according to UConn these are the only um interactions um Noker's behavior that actually constituted a violation of the university's policy right um so I mean I'll just take it from just the wording in the document itself. Uh, 
student B, um, and we'll be using just student B, uh, and also their gender is blocked as well in the document. So uh, they, them pronouns for them. Um, student B alleged that while they were a student, uh, they engaged in discussing discussions with Professor Noker after class, which led to him inviting them to take short trips with him, for example, to a camera store. On one occasion in redacted year, Pro Professor Noker took student B to a bookstore not on the Yukon campus and so selected and purchased several books for the student. A book by Jonathan Franzen, a former classmate of Professor Noker, the Unbearable Lightness of Being by Milan Kundera, and a collection of erotic short stories. Uh, student B stated that themselves and Professor Nolker did not discuss these books prior to him selecting them for themselves at the bookstore. They recalled that he later asked whether they liked the books he selected, and they replied that they were a great read, and he replied that they were a great read. They did not spe uh, specifically discuss the erotic short stories. So just uh, just the first part of this that's weird, obviously, is just him taking a student outside of the classroom to a store. Like, should never happen anyways, like already weird enough, but something that we can look at and be like, okay, that's on its own, nothing crazy. Uh, then buying books for the student. Again, nothing crazy, I guess, you know, books... Books are fine for everybody. Erotic short stories are not uh, in the same category. I mean, that's just like just and it's such an insane thing and same premise to even come across. And then to say they were a great read. The yeah. guy is just a sleazeball. Yeah, just completely inappropriate. And what he's doing can be considered grooming behavior, specifically, obviously, the purchasing of the erotic short stories that's kind of like putting out like a feeler pushing boundaries and seeing what he can get away with and we see this like in in almost every single one of these students cases as different examples of him throwing out these feelers and basically seeing what the response is and uh funny enough the response is almost unilaterally what the fuck dude um so everyone is basically remembers it at least or, or it sticks with them because it's i mean not to not in their words but in my own words i would think it's pretty weird so student b also alleged on one occasion uh they did not recall the date remember that the weather was cold and professor nolker asked if they wanted a seat heater turned on uh they were driving in nolker's car um as explained later on in the document nolker Admitted to driving this student three times, um, one, two times uh, in particular because it was cold. According to the student, Nolker engaged in sexually explicit conversation with them in the car. The conversation began with Professor Nolker asking uh, the student if how they were during sex, how they sounded, if they were loud or quiet in bed. And he commented, I imagine you to be so quiet during sex that I would have to lean in to hear you. Uh, let me repeat that quote. I imagine you being so quiet during sex that I would have to lean in to hear you. Student B replied that they were not particularly quiet in bed. Professor Nolker responded, oh, that's not how I pictured you. Professor Nolker also asked Student B, do you like the taste of semen? Student B 
believe that they responded by saying that they did not like the taste, but feeling of it was interesting. To which Professor Nolko responded, that's interesting. It's usually the opposite. Student B also stated that Professor Nolker commented, talking to you is the most fun I've had in years without taking my clothes off. Student B did not recall the rest of the conversation, but stated to OIE that it felt the conversation was the first red flag. So after this first uh, story, we hear about buying books that were creepy, which on its own is an offense that like is a huge red flag. We get this just pestering of questions of like totally out of left field, just vulgar and bizarre things for a teacher to be asking. Right. And that again is, you know, that grooming behavior we're talking about, like steering conversations and situations, uh, situations towards sexual topics. And uh, there's really no reason why you would bring that up in general, but then, you know, I think the statement in there that's uh, really telling about where his head was at while he's talking to the student is, oh, that's not how I pictured you. Like, why the fuck are you thinking about how your student would sound in bed? Yeah, that whole how he framed that whole question is just in, an insane, insane thing to say. So the last thing uh, in, in the case with student B that I want to get into is... Um, just another bizarre story of him driving this student. Um, so student B alleged that on one occasion during the middle to late part of the year, shortly after the conversation in his car uh, that we fondly remember about semen and the volume of sex, uh, Professor Nolker invited them to his home because he wanted to give blank photographic paper. He drove them there in his car and as they were driving, mentioned to student B that his spouse was not home. Student B explained to OIE that that was an uncomfortable being alone with Professor Nolker because of the interaction in his car prior and was standoffish when they arrived at his house. Professor Nolker noticed this and asked what was wrong. Student B responded that they had cramps and was not feeling well. Professor Nolker offered to give them a back massage and reached for their back or shoulders. Student B backed away and said they did not want him to do that, to which he replied, blank, usually likes this. Professor Nolker gave Student B the paper and brought them to their home. Uh, and Student B alleged that prior to this visit in Professor Nolker's home, he occasionally gave them rides, picking them up in his car where their routes from campus to their respective homes intersected. Uh, after the visits to his home, Student B said that they tried to avoid Professor Nolker but wanted to be non-confrontational because Professor Nolker, uh, as we often see, was a professor and advisor in a small department, something you see they come across each other quite often. Student B stated that they changed their route home or asked a friend to walk with them home instead so they would not come across Professor Nolker after these three inter interactions. It's the last thing that we want to get into, the, the analysis used actually uh, against Nolker in this is Nolker's claim uh, that he had not interacted with this student after these uh, claims. Something that was a pretty dumb lie considering enrollment records are just so easily accessible. Um, so student B was actually enrolled uh, in multiple classes with Nolker that he taught afterwards. 
Um, I don't have the exact number just because they were blanked out of this document, but it was more than one. Uh, the number of students enrolled of each of these courses ranged from 13 to 22. Um, so given the small enrollment and interactive nature of these courses, Professor Nolker's statement regarding his lack of interaction with student B is not credible. So getting into some other complaints that are um, touched upon in this report, multiple witnesses indicated that Professor Nolker discussed sexual themes during class. Students B, M, and O noted that discussions about sexual themes occurred more frequently during Professor Nolker's classes than in other art classes. One student described that the discussions in his class seemed to focus more on sexualized topics. Several students alleged that Professor Nolker made comments of a sexual nature during class about either students' work or artists' work that were unrelated to the subject matter of the class. Specifically, students A, K, and P indicated that Professor Nolker commented about pubic hair, specifically that he thought it was, quote, crazy when women shave their pubic hair, and he thought it made them appear, quote, infantile when discussing an image that a student presented in class. The image contained a nude female figure placed in an outdoor environment. One witness noted that the image the student created was not sexual in nature, but Professor Nolker's comments made the image sexual and did not contribute to the analysis of, uh, analysis of the student's work. This dude's just like trying to have a comedy stand-up riff like in class of this like totally erotic behavior that's just has no place like in any sort of workplace, let alone one where you're trying to teach people. Right. No one cares if you like women shaved or not shaved, bro. Like, shut yeah, the fuck like up. this is just these are comments that get you fired from like most workplaces. Exactly. Exactly. The report goes on. In addition, with regard to an artist's work, student O alleged that in commenting about one image during a fall lecture, Professor Nolker commented that the model in the photograph looked like she was having an orgasm. The student indicated that this comment did not add to the analysis of the photograph. And this is just another case of this, him just like interjecting his weird sexual fantasies into these conversations. And like, and another example as well of them just falling flat every time and then being like, why did you say that? Right. He's again, pushing boundaries. And again, it goes to show his mindset of just like, he's constantly thinking about inappropriate sexual things when he's in a class full of students. Right. Moving on to the next topic in the report, students alleged that Nolker encouraged students to create images containing nudity and sexual content. From the report, students A, K, and R indicated that Professor Nolker commented that he wanted to see the characters in a series that student A created, which does not contain sexual themes, nude or having sex. Student A specifically recalled Professor Nolker commenting that he wanted to see the characters, quote, fighting or fucking. Student A also alleged that uh, Professor Nolker commented to a student whom student A did not identify that it was, quote, immature of her not to pose nude. Another student, student B, alleged that they submitted a project and Professor Nolker commented that the work, quote, wasn't very feminist because student B did not want to show pubic region. Student A indicated that 
they witnessed Professor Nolker comment in class that students, student B's images should have shown full pelvis. Another student, student M, alleged that in providing one-on-one -on -one feedback, Professor Nolker's first question was, quote, why aren't they nude? So Nolker, in his statement, denies ever pressuring anybody to create any um, sexual content, nudity, what have you. And the university investigators pretty much say they don't have enough evidence to confirm some students' accounts that he what he did pressure them into creating artwork that cr had sexual themes, topics, content, whatever. But it is clear that enough students felt that way. Several students felt that he pressured them into creating um, nude images and things like that. So take that for what it's worth. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things where there's smoke, there's fire. Uh, they're definitely if they under their investigation could they have legitimately said that he did that i guess not under however they see it fit but i mean when you have multiple students saying it who clearly didn't corroborate together right it's it's sense. right it's strange to not credit the allegation when just because some students say they didn't experience it doesn't mean the other students didn't experience it Especially someone with a history. Right. Uh, right. Exactly. It's it's not just one. It's not just one accusation. It's the body of accusations. It's not right. hard to imagine that he was doing those things when we have all these other allegations on top of it all. It, it aligns very much so with his, um, you know, behavior and personality. Yeah. Okay, so uh, so we'll go into what's next in uh, the report is just um, his comments to students regarding his own sexual activities. Um, so student A, we obviously saw the letters A, B, C, all this. Uh, it's just in the order of these complaints. So student A alleged that a student who wished to rename, remain anonymous informed them that in 2017, Professor Nolker talked about sexual activity that he engaged in with his spouse, um, also a faculty member in the School of Fine Arts, including the location and the manner in which they engaged in sexual activity. Uh, thankfully, they did not actually get into further detail here, um, but you can imagine. The anonymous student alleged that Professor Nolker made these comments both in the classroom and in one-on-one -on -one conversations with students. The anonymous student also alleged that during an exhibition of Professor Nolker's spouse's work, Professor Nolker commented to students, I get to have sex with her. Student A further indicated that student C alleged that Professor Nolker informed students he had told his spouse to model nude for portraits because he wanted to see her naked. I The fact that he has a spouse just in the first place kind of blows my mind. But just his... this callous way that he talks about her to students is just blows my mind even much further right like she's like an object yeah i get to have sex with her is insane and that's such like it's so childish you know like, yeah like this is a full-grown adult man who's just like making like a childish comment that you would expect like a teenager to make 
yeah and that's just this overarching thing we see like what kind of grown adult man like when we, and we see for these other things like questioning asking very illicit sexual questions to women in a car like doing all these things it's like right. how old are you and like who what is wrong with you it's again p- part of his of the boundary pushing behavior and the steering um, conversations towards sexual topics that people who groom other people do mm-hmm. um so these ones these other claims that are just involved in this uh part of the study uh don't go into it as specifically but i think they're worth mentioning um student b who we talked about in another part of the case is um alleged that during a one-on-one conversation conversation with someone uh professor nolker told student b about his experience with a former sexual partner in which he specifically commented about his partner's body student b did not recall any other details or the context in which the conversation occurred and stated that he made these types of comments, quote, all the time, which made it difficult to recall specific details of the interaction. Okay, so this next part we're going to get into uh, that the report discusses is unwelcome physical contact with students in class from Professor Nolper. Um, Six students in particular uh, state that during lectures, uh, Professor Nolker placed his hands on students' shoulders or backs. Three of them explained that Professor Noker did not massage students' shoulders, and student R described that contact as more of a, quote, graze. Student K stated that Professor Noker rubbed students' backs and played with their hair, but this contact was brief. Student E described the contact as an attempt to bring students into the class discussion, but indicated that they felt uncomfortable because the physical contact was unnecessary. Student D indicated that on one occasion in class, Professor Professor Nolker touched the back of someone which had a cross pattern, the back of their shirt, and commented that he could not help himself from touching it. Student A indicated that an anonymous student shared several allegations. On one occasion between 2014 and 2017, Professor Nolker rubbed the lower back of a student who was giving a presentation in class while the student was in front of the class. In 2015, Professor Nolker rubbed two students' backs while they were in the art library. And in 2017, Professor Nolker placed a student in a pose during a demonstration and touched their hair, but did not ask for permission to touch their hair until he had already done so. Student R also alleges that after they had completed Professor Nolker's class, Professor Nolker hugged and kissed their forehead while he was in the hallway with that student. Student T described this contact as really weird and really fast. Student R also alleged that Professor Nolker put his arm around him while he was in his office. So, I mean, a lot of these range from just really awkward, weird maneuverings to just flat out perverted and weird things. Uh, I, I think I, th- I think we're going to get into his response to these um, as well. And we, we can discuss the grazes and tapping people's shoulders. It definitely feels or at least reads like an outdated, old, creepy thing to do. Um, right. Is right. it a creepy old man thing? Behavior. I don't know. Yeah, creepy old man behavior. Um, the rest of this isn't great, uh, obviously. I think one comment that stuck out to me is just that just, just read so creepy is uh, touching a girl's cross pattern shirt and commenting that he could not help himself from touching it. It, it doesn't say how he says it, but it just 
sounds so slimy and right, that's yeah. all i can picture yeah you can just like just like very diabolical sort yeah. of sentence speaking of inappropriate behavior several students reported that he would take students on trips to new york city where he drove students in his car and took them to art galleries and restaurants Student A indicated that she learned from the parent of a current student that in 2018, Professor Nolker invited their child's friend, a current freshman or sophomore that had been uh, Professor Nolker's advisee at the time, to stay in a hotel room with him in New York City. The student uh, declined the invitation and switched to a different advisor. Great call on their part. Right. I mean, immediately catching those creepy vibes and just running the other way. Yeah, great judge of character. Students A, D, and R alleged during these trips to New York, Professor Nolker provided alcohol to students that were under 21 years of age. Yikes. Mm. Student, student R recalled that they and student F attended a trip to New York together and Professor Nolker purchased drinks for the students with dinner, although no one was quote unquote partying. So, I mean, they weren't getting hammered, I guess, but still, credit, you can't... Credit you words, do, too. Yeah. Right. But still, you can't do that. You can't just buy. <laughs> still illegal, but... Right. Now, Nolker uh, does not dispute taking students to New York. Um, he recalled doing this on approximately nine or ten occasions to attend photography shows. He explained that he selected three students who were the most engaged in class to invite to the shows. He denied that the trips to New York City were overnight trips and denied asking a student to share a hotel room with him. He also denied purchasing alcohol for students under 21 years of age. However, he recalled making a comment while in New York that the restaurants did not care much about checking individuals' identification before serving them alcohol. So again, another denial of his behavior, but it's just bullshit because again, several students are saying that this happened. Now, they differ on whether anyone was drunk or tipsy or whatever, but that's not the point. The point is providing alcohol to underage people that are not your children. And in fact, you are an authority figure over and a role model as their professor, just entirely fucking inappropriate and obviously not legal. Yeah. And I will say one, one thing to the credit of the, of, of the uh, OIE in their uh, findings of fact, right below that uh, they do say, uh, if I can quote it here, Professor Nolker, Nolker's comments regarding the lax practices by restaurants in checking identification could have been reasonably interpreted as, as encouraging the students he was with to order alcohol while at the restaurant. Accordingly, there is sufficient evidence to support finding that on at least one occasion, Professor Nolker purchased alcohol for a student or students who were under 21 years of age. So, I mean, just because he it is worth noting that just because he does deny all these things, you know, he can only deny so much. They, they still do take the credit of these students. Now into the last thing we will cover in this um, OIE report is interactions with student N. Student N alleged that Professor Nolker commented to them that they would 
quote unquote, look good in a burlap bag and cautioned them to, quote, be careful with some of the people around here, referring to other faculty members, unquote, because student N was an attractive person. Student N recalled that Professor Nolker made this comment regarding other faculty members while in his office. They explained that Professor Nolker called student N into his office after having observed that student N had just finished meeting with another faculty member. Student N, and this is something I, uh, this is something important for the listener to remember going forward because we're going to touch on this later. Student N also stated that Professor Nolker brought them to his house to view software that was on his computer that was used in reviewing graduate applications and to pick up items for a class. Student N recalled that the computer was located in the sunroom and was attached to the living room. Student N sat on the couch while Professor Nolker retrieved the items he needed for his class. He returned to the room and sat on the couch with Student N. Professor Nolker proceeded to tell Student N that many years earlier, a student had taken off her clothes while she was at his home, and he responded to he responded by telling the student that he was married and quote, doesn't do that, end quote. Student N recalled that Professor Nolker indicated that he was accused of something related to this interaction with the student. So just keep that in mind for later. Uh, furthermore, student N also alleged that Professor Nolker sent a text message one evening in which he wrote that he was thinking of that student and wanted to meet with them soon. He signed the text message with XOXO. With respect, so this is the report again. Uh, this is Nolker talking. Uh, with respect to the incident that occurred with the other student, Professor Nolker explained that approximately 15 years ago, the student visited his home. He explained that she was having some personal issues and he wanted to help her as a friend and mentor. He stated that the student was lying on his couch and began to slide towards him, which caused her shirt to begin to pull up. Professor Nolker responded by indicating that he did not want to see her breasts. He later turned... Uh, he later learned that the student had commented to other students that she just wanted to try to get him in trouble. Also sounds like total bullshit. Right. I mean, his whole entire account of those events just does not make any sense. And again, we'll see later exactly what he's talking about. So the report by OIE, the investigation by OIE and the report resulted in a separation agreement with between the university and Frank Nolker. So I'm just going to pretty much read this whole thing because it's not very long. And yeah, so here we go. This memorandum of agreement is entered into by and between Frank Nolker and the University of Connecticut and the University of the Connecticut of chapter of the American Association of University Professors. They need to find a shorter name than that. Whereas Professor Nolker is currently employed as an associate professor of photography in the art and art history department in the School of Fine Arts, whereas on or about December 20th, 2018, the Office of Institutional Equity issued a report finding that Professor Nolker violated the university's policy against discrimination, harassment, and interpersonal violence from which Professor Nolker's appeal was denied, whereas the Dean of the School of Fine Arts is currently investigating allegations 
of Inappropriate Behavior by Professor Nolker during class on September 19th, 2018, which may result in disciplinary action. And just as a little sidebar, I know what this is referring to because I talked to students um, who were in the class during the time. Basically, he had just a massive meltdown during class because this is when he was, during the time he was being investigated and, you know, saying that a lot of people are saying a bad, bunch of bad things about him and like broke down crying and was like yelling at students. And I talked to the student students that were in that classroom who felt that they were like taken hostage in a way by him because he erupted out of like nowhere and was be like very aggressive towards students um, uh, who were like challenging his opinion on like a photograph. So yeah, it was a mess, but that's what that is referring to. So just more, even more inappropriate behavior from him. Continuing on uh, reading this separation agreement. Okay, so by this agreement, Professor Nolker submits his, oh man, that's a hard word. Er <laughs> Can you say that? Uh, sorry, let me, I'm looking at the wrong thing. Ir irrevocable. That's yeah, yeah. Submits his irrevocable yeah. notice of resignation effective July 31st, 2020, with the intent to retire on August 1st, 2020, while reserving the right to retire before this time. The university agrees that for the remainder of Professor Nolker's employment with the university, his assigned workload will be as follows. So the first point. Professor Nolker will be reinstated from paid administrative leave for the remainder of the spring 2019 semester. Professor Nolker will not be assigned a teaching load, but will instead prefer, perform alternative duties in research, scholarship, and service commiserate with his um, appointment as a full-time faculty member to be uh, determined by his department head. During each semester of the 2019-2020 academic year, Professor Nolker will be assigned to teach one course at the graduate level to be determined by his department head. In lieu of teaching a second course, Professor Nolker will be assigned additional administrative responsibilities to be determined by the dean or and or department head following discussion with Professor Nolker subject to the foregoing during this time, Professor Nolker will continue to perform all his assigned duties in teaching, research, scholarship, and departmental service commiserate with his appointment as a full-time faculty member. Professor Nolker acknowledges that the university has sufficient evidence to find that his conduct during class on or about September 19, 2018 was inappropriate and unprofessional in violation of the university's policies, including but not limited to the code of conduct. All right, so basically, we're just going to skip the rest of it because it's all just legal, yeah. legally shit that's literally not you know, important to the point we're trying to make. But basically, he is found to have violated university policies in this OIE report that we just went through. But not only that, they are aware of another incident in which he violated the school's policies, and they're still allowing him to stay on as a professor for another year and a half or so and be around students and teach a graduate course and have less responsibilities because they stripped a lot of them away 
the like the full course load. He's not, he didn't have a full course load, but still agreed to pay him his normal salary for doing less work and put him again, put him in. I just like can't get over that they just put him with students again. It's insane. Like it's so backwards, like of what you would think that should be done. Right. The important thing to note here is the power dynamic. The problem is he's using his position of power to put himself in positions with students that are completely inappropriate and make Mm -hmm. them fearful that if they don't go along with what he wants, then there will be repercussions to their grade or um, reputations within the department. So just like we did on the last episode, I want to name the people who signed off on this agreement. So of course we have Frank Nolker. We have David Amder, who was the associate director of the teachers union. And then the people from the University of Connecticut who signed this were John Volin, who was the vice provost for academic affairs, and Anne Aliva, who was the School of Fine Arts dean. And just to yeah, uh, do- we should we should look at what where they are now. Yeah, let's do that. That's a great idea, Ryan. Yeah. And just I just so happen to have that information right in front of me. How weird is that? Oh, funny. So John Volin is now the executive vice president for academic affairs and the provost at the University of Maine, a position he started in August 2020. So that was the month after I originally broke this story. And D-L-A-V-A-D, fuck, that's hard to say. And D-L-A-V-A was recently named UConn's provost in November 2022. So a nice promotion for her. That comes with it a salary of $445,875. Keep doing this. Congrats, Anne. Thanks. Killing it. Can't think of a better use of state taxpayer money. Right, exactly. So at the top of the episode, Ryan mentioned that the Office of Institutional Equity launched this investigation when they saw... um, where they were, when they were alerted to social media posts about the allegations. However, that's not true. A student told me that she went to the Office of Institutional Equity and told the Director of Investigations, Sarah Chipman, everything she knew and was under the impression that she had opened an investigation. Internal documents show that OIE reached out to Nolker concerning the report and... Uh, set a meeting to discuss it but uh nolker just um didn't show up he was like i'm not fuck it so in response yukon sent him this letter which i will read some of right now and this is from the uh oie office to nolker dear professor nolker and this is dated may 10th 2017 dear professor nolker I am following up on the meeting that was scheduled with you for April 21st, 2017 with Dean D'Alava and the Office of Institutional Equity. This meeting time, date, and location was established after multiple attempts beginning March 6, 2017 to schedule this meeting. You not only failed to attend this meeting, but also failed to provide notice that you would not attend. So he just straight up was like, fuck it, I'm no showing this thing, which most people get fired for if they like 
just don't show up to work and don't call in or anything. I'm just like, but it's a wild move, right? A crazy power move. Uh, letter goes on, um, to say at this time, OIE is not taking further actions in response to the concerns raised. Yeah, and you you say it's a power move, but it's a hundred percent a calculated one in that he knows basically OA is going to be able be able to just say, "Hey, don't do that." Right. There's nothing we can really do about it, but stop it. Right. So, after a year of waiting with no action, the original complainant began posting her experiences on social media and then con- uh, contacted uh, Connecticut State Senator May Flexer, who was whose uh, district is um, the one where UConn is. UConn stores, I should say, too, because there's like a million UConn satellite campuses, but the main one is the one where we're talking about. May Flexer actually contacted UConn to find out why nothing was done, and that's when the investigation officially opened. So it took a state senator reaching out to UConn and being like, what the fuck for them to finally get off their asses and start investigating the allegations towards one of their professors. I did want to also mention Sarah Chipman is still at UConn as the senior director for the office of institutional equity and investigations, even after she straight up blew it in every possible way. Right. And it gets worse actually, because Remember how I said earlier, student N had mentioned that Nolker said 15 years ago, a student made some allegations towards him uh, that after coming on to him, trying to come on to him um, and made allegations. Trying to get him in trouble. Right. Exactly. That was the exact words. Well, I spoke to that student and she alleged that when she was at his home, he got on top of her and forcibly put his hands up her shirt to grab her breast, then attempted to remove her pants. And so reading from this article I wrote many years ago, how many years ago? So this was written in 2020. So I, for like an alias to protect her identity, I named her Katie in this story. Katie was a student at UConn's School of Fine Arts from 2000-2025. Her first personal encounter with Nolker happened after her second basic photography class with him. Nolker was having students work on a project about something they had struggled with in life. Katie broke down emotionally during class. And according to Katie, Nolker asked her to come to his office after class, which she did. And Nolker immediately told her about his abusive childhood, a subject which several of Nolker's student, former students reported he often talked about. After that, Katie said Nolker took a special interest in her and her work. He had her accompany him and his wife and a couple of their students um, to the Center for Great Apes in Florida, where they uh, would photograph, uh, photograph the chimps and orangutans that lived in the sanctuary. Um, she reported that nothing weird happened on that trip at all. However, upon returning from Florida, Katie had a string of bad luck. The work study job that she had 
financially relied upon were was cut from the school's budget, and then her bike was stolen. So this is Katie speaking. I lived in an apartment off campus, Huntington Lodge, so my bicycle was really critical to me getting around. And it was during finals week that maybe I mentioned in an email to Frank, you know, oh, my bike was stolen. And he said, oh, you know, my wife has this old bike that's just sitting around in the garage. You can have it. According to Katie, Milker drove her to um, drove to her apartment, picked her up, drove her back to his house, and invited her inside. Once inside, Nolker asked her to sit on the couch. This is Katie again. I sat on the very far opposite side of the couch from him, but he sort of grabbed my ankle and started giving me a foot massage, Katie said. And I don't really know what to make of it. I didn't really know what to make of it. So I just kind of froze and tried to talk about anything benign and sort of pretend it's not happening. But according to Katie... Nolker steered the conversation towards sex. He asked her about her boyfriend and if they were sexually active. He th and then he asked her what her favorite sexual position was. This is Katie speaking. At this point, I am really scared because I realize this is predatory questioning. I just said, oh, I don't know, and tried to laugh it off. Katie said Nolker then offered to take nude photos of her, which she declined. He then asked to see her breasts, which she also declined. Then, according to Katie, Nolker got on top of her, straddled her, and forced his hands up her shirt and began massaging her breasts and told her how beautiful they were. I was in a, a total frozen mode, out-of-body experience, Katie said. This isn't happening, kind of thing. Then he put his hands on my jeans where my zipper was, and I started to, and started to unzip my pants, and I, like, grabbed my jeans and like held my pants together. This is Katie still speaking. And he said another thing I specifically remember because it was very odd. Katie said, he said, can I please see your sex? As though he was using sex as a noun to describe my anatomy. She said no and told Nolker that she was late handing in a final exam. Nolker offered to drive her back to campus. She accepted and when she turned in her paper for her women's studies class, she told a graduate student that uh, teaching the class what had happened. The former graduate student who requested her name not be used for privacy reasons confirmed Katie's account of what happened and the details of the alleged assault. So Katie tried to report what happened to the Yukon Police Department. They were like, no, it happened off campus, so that's not our jurisdiction. So then she went to the uh, state police who weren't very helpful, and Katie fearing that her identity would be revealed and her college career would be ruined if Nolker's arrest became a public spectacle, she told the state police that she didn't want him arrested but wanted a record of it in case Nolker ever assaulted another student. However, state police destroy records of these kinds of reports every 10 years unless a guilty verdict or DNA was collected. From there, Katie told the Office of Institutional Equity what happened, and they took her account and Nolker's account. And the only thing, according to Katie, the only thing OIE did was require Nolker not to contact her again in any way. But he did, unfortunately. I saw him continually in the halls on campus, and one day he followed me across the street to a convenience store. He approached me on the street and basically gave me the story how he's Sorry about the confusion that happened, but he was, quote, fucked up on Prozac and trying not to kill himself. 
Kitty said she told immediately told OIE what happened, and but she is not aware if he was disciplined in any way. So as you might imagine, this whole situation really affected Katie and her college career because I think we've already mentioned, but not only was she a major in the um, department in which Nolker taught in, obviously, but his wife was also a professor in that department and she had a mandatory class with her. She managed to make some things work so that she uh, didn't have to take that class. But, you know, she was really worried that if she did have to take that class, maybe Nolker told his wife some alternate version of events um, and she might have some sort of bias against her. So just like a really um, precarious position. And she she had a quote that I thought kind of like really... Uh, kind of put a fine point on it. She said, I ended up dropping another class that semester because I was a mess and I was just trying to avoid being in the art building as much as I possibly could because every time I ran into Nolker, I thought I was going to throw up. Imagine being in art concentration and having your number one goal to be avoiding the fucking art building. So, you know, it's kind of unimaginable the unless you've been through something like that before, which obviously I haven't and neither has Ryan to my knowledge, but, um, to put yourself in that, <laughs> to put yourself in that position where, you know, this person who allegedly, you know, put you through a very traumatic event. I mean, one of the important things, obviously we've talked about before is the power dynamic, right? And, um, being in that position, I can't really fathom it. Just having to be around somebody who, did that to you and try to just act as normal as possible and try to get through your education. It's just insane that, that the fault of that falls on the student in all of these situations. Like there's no, you know, like I, I don't know, but I would have to venture a guess that like him or his wife were not really having that same stress level that Katie was, you know, and it's right. It just sucks. It, everything about it sucks. And this, the power dynamics of it all, it's just a shitty situation. So let's just talk about the report and the findings within it. So as Ryan mentioned, because we started off the show with just the allegations that were found to have violated university policies. And that was a very narrow um, set of things that the uh, investigators credited. And it's just fucking bullshit. Like, I don't know how much else to say about that. But like, of like, yeah, the things that were credited as um, being against the university policies were obviously bad and deserved to have been violations. But what I'm saying is there were a laundry list of other things that also should have been violations of university policies. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, you don't get brownie points for, you know, just knocking off, you know, one thing on there when there's a million and one other things that really should have been dealt with, too. Right. And I, I kind of want to make the point that, you know, following Me Too and Time's Up and all that shit, people are like, oh, there's no due process, you know, someone just makes allegations and, you know, man's life is ruined. What if they're false, blah, blah, blah. 
it's well, literally the farthest thing from the truth here. Like exactly. And I wanted to make that point is just that it was so insanely difficult to even get an investigation started in the first place. But even the investigation, you know, it wasn't just like, oh, they said it, so it happened. You know, like, it's just as valid of an investigation as, like, a law enforcement agency would have done. You know, what more can you do than talk to witnesses and corroborate statements and make a judgment on what happened? And even then, still, like, a lot of allegations weren't credited. So yeah, I think... It's just totally backwards right but i just wanted to make the point for the you know i mean i'm sure not a lot of naysayers are, are going to listen to this anyway but if they are listening first of all this is not a fucking court of law so there's no fucking due process like people always say that due process, not due process. until proven guilty like that's not right it's not it's, here this is not criminal this is not a criminal right. matter i mean it is but it's not in a court of law the university has every right to adjudicate these things. Okay, so one thing I did want to talk about, and don't take this as legal advice because I'm not a lawyer, but... So after I reported this story, um, I was in touch with one of the um, students in the complaint itself, and she told me that pretty much like she founded like a survivor's group of like Nolker victims. And I think the last update I got on how many people had joined was like, it was in the fifties. And so they thought about suing, but the um, statute of limitations had kind of come and gone with that. And so this isn't like a criticism of how anybody else has handled it, but just by seeing many of these types of situations play out, the first thing I would do if you were planning to report someone like your professor or whatever, or really any, if you're dealing with a university, say you're a college student, something like this happens to you and you're planning on reporting it to the university. The first thing I would do if you have the means, I know that's a very um, big hurdle for a lot of people. A lot of people don't have the resources, but if you do have them, get a lawyer right away because do not engage in the, with the university in good faith because from everything i've seen it's just a bad faith process there's the people who are supposed to be in your corner and helping you out they don't have your best interests in mind they have their best interests in mind which is to not let this get public so I would just get an attorney if you could, even if you just want to file a complaint and go from there. So just have your interests protected from the get-go to avoid missing a statute of limitations if you wanted to sue or have a university like dick you around like UConn did to these girls before finally a state senator had to get involved and really jumpstart the investigation i would just make sure you get your your rights advocated for above all else because these investigations take a long time by the time you even get the the results of it it might be past the statute of limitations to file a lawsuit um so that's just my little piece of non-binding not legal advice just uh 
I think that would be the best course of action. If you could yeah, swing I don't, it. I mean, I can't wade my toe too deep into those waters. Just I'm not as informed as you are on it. But yeah, I mean, just any scenario like this, we, we see it a lot, especially you talked about the statute of limitations, just how quickly that can run up. Yeah, um, it's, I mean, at least in Connecticut, we'll it's later. only about a year. Yeah. So, I mean, that's quick. Like a year will pass before you know it, especially when you're kind of licking your wounds right. from a traumatic event. Um, that shit will creep up on you real fast. I mean, you might not even, but that's like the other advantage of getting a lawyer is like you might not even know you have the ability to sue. Right. It's not the first thing on most people's minds, honestly. You know, right. I would imagine when this thing happens. Right. But even if you don't want to sue, like, I would just get one to engage with these universities in general because, like I said, they're not looking out for you. They're looking out for themselves. Any way that they can cover their ass, they will try to. Exactly. But the other thing we want to talk about is just the general media disinterest in these topics because again from being um in touch with students that were in the complaint i know that they you know would post about this and tag a bunch of news outlets on um social media and try and get in touch with them or any other uh, other ways too and just crickets every single time. And when I find, when I reported this story, I broke this story. And, well, I mean, it's kind of silly to say I broke it because it's not like anybody did anything with it after that. I was literally the only fucking person to uh, report it. Actually, I think the Yukon school paper reported on it after me. But at any rate, like news outlets didn't like see it and like run with it, you know? And try to do their own yeah, stories. I mean, you mentioned it. The Me Too stuff, I think, warped a lot of people's perceptions on it. And it's like, yeah, sure. If you are whatever, name Matt Lauer, you know, a celebrity, there'll be some interest in that type of story. But like the, you know, everyday people, professors, staff members of a university, people aren't flocking to the news to watch these stories, to talk about these stories. And it's as it's completely wrong but it's just the truth of it the matter is like those you know cnn fox like these places don't aren't gonna get any ratings from reporting on this you know yeah and you know before i just published this myself on like a blog i reached out to several connecticut news outlets trying to give this away and nobody took me up on it so no reason for that obviously but uh yeah it was crazy it was really shocking to me just like how the disinterest because UConn as you and I know Ryan and I'm obviously sure many other people do but UConn is a like very important state institution so disinterest and something like that happening at like one of the biggest institutions in the whole entire state which is also like 
UConn's like nationally recognized too, obviously for their sports teams and, and their success with that. So a lot of people like know about UConn. So the fact that there was no interest in this story is insane to me. So where is Frank now? I actually have no idea. I mean, I know he's still in Connecticut, but um, as for what he's doing, I checked like because he has a website for anybody who wants to go look that up. <laughs> Um, it hasn't been updated in a long time. And I was curious because on his website, he has, um, like, um, art dealers or whatever that he's associated with listed. And I was like curious to see if they were still like affiliated with him. So I looked him up and they're not. So I don't know if that's just because he fell off like entirely from like the art world or whatever but i don't know if i mentioned it but he is kind of like renowned for um he did um portraits of animals in captivity and like actually did like work with jane goodall like shooting for like uh chimps and stuff um but these days not much out of him um i did talk to him and he's a he's a very weird guy because I called him and like was like, hey, like this is what I'm doing. And he just like started going off. Like, like he seemed like happy to talk to me. It was very weird. And he was just like talking to me, like running his mouth for like a while. Like I didn't even get the chance to be like anything you say to me is like on the record, you know? Mm -hmm. And like he just like started running his mouth and just like kept going. And uh like I like heard his wife like be like hang up the phone and just like take the phone from him and hang it up and but yeah. So Frank, if you're listening to this, I don't know. You're a bastard, man. Seek help. Join the show and discuss. <laughs> I will never have him on this show. Ever. No. That concludes this episode of The Scarlet Project. If you'd like to get in touch with us, our DMs are open on our socials. We are at The Scarlet Pod on Twitter and on TikTok, or you can reach us via email at thescarletpod at gmail.com. All right, everyone, stay safe and look out for each other. <laughs>